Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning, and we are very glad you've joined us today. We have a really interesting update show for you on the topic of the burn pits. This affected so many of our veterans and still affecting them today. And we want to bring you an update with veteran Navy veteran Lauren Price. She's also an advocate and founder of Veteran Warriors Advocacy. And there's been a lot of progress made recently. We would not say it's conclusive progress. I'll let Lauren explain more. But it is really important that we keep updating you on this very difficult situation for our veterans and dealing with the healthcare and the VA. So I'd like to first start with saying welcome to Lauren. Good well, morning. Having me. Good morning. And <laughs> good morning. And explaining, I would like you to explain what burn pits are to those who may not have recognized what it was or may not recognize the, the health issues that are accompanying it. Because while it's become quite widely known, not everybody hears the same thing. So we'll go to the expert to have you explain what is burn pits and what are some of the conditions that arise out of exposure? Well, first and foremost, uh, there are actually a surprising number of people, including legislators, that still are not familiar with the specifics of open-air burn pits. Okay. The Department of Defense, in historically, in every conflict zone, utilizes open-air burn pits for disposing of waste because it's in most cases, I won't say every, but most cases, uh, the area that we're going into has already been bombed a lot and things like this. So infrastructure is gone. Um, where we have established bases, they have established waste disposal. Mm-hmm. So picture the backwoods of Afghanistan or Iraq. There's no infrastructure at all. And we just basically dig a giant hole and everything from used uniforms, medical waste, plastic water bottles, styrofoam, vehicle parts, and any conceivable type of trash get thrown into these pits. And they use JP-8, which is jet fuel, which sounds really big, but it's also the same fuel we put in the vehicles. Um, They use that to ignite it and keep it burning continuously. And I spent 13 months in Baghdad and was a convoy driver and drove over an enormous amount of the eastern third of Iraq. And at every combat outpost and fob we went to, there were open air burn pits, every single one. The- and, and Lauren, a question. They, did you have any sort of respiratory assistance or, or shields, even a mask of any type? The only types of... Uh, respiratory protection we had were our NBC masks, which means nuclear, biological, or chemical warfare, mm-hmm. basically gas masks. Okay. And they, the, the real irony here is when we were issued these, this whole NBC gear pack, we were told, do not open them. 
We will tell you when it's okay to open them when you need to open them. And we actually, there were some chlorine attacks in Baghdad while we were there. And we were told specifically, do not open them because the, the chlorine would melt these to your faces. So what? Uh, yeah, chlorine would melt the plastic and rubber. So specifically for the burn pits, especially back then, 07 and 08, there was nothing. It wasn't until, I want to say, don't quote me on the date, but I want to say it was 2009 or early 10 mm -hmm. that the Pentagon issued a directive stating that if the soldier requested it, they could have paper masks like you would use for like sanding the wall in your house mm -hmm. or piece of wood. Um, there was no formal respiratory protection especially something considerable like resp respirators that have filters on them, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Now, I have, I've got to ask the question. Um, burn pits are so ubiquitous and expose so many people to this. Has that changed today in having respiratory protection? To the best of my knowledge, with my sources with the Department of Defense, there are still no respiratory protection items issued to soldiers going downrange. Um, allegedly, and I say that allegedly because they were ordered in 2009 to stop utilizing burn pits and phase them out completely and replace them with incinerators that the American taxpayers spent millions and millions of dollars for. Mm -hmm. Those incinerators, as of 2013, the special investigator for the OIG went and toured Afghanistan and created this report, that SIGAR report, We is available on our website as well as our Facebook group. Mm -hmm. That report it was scathing to the Department of Defense and the civilian contractors because they found the incinerators that we all paid dearly for were sitting there either not ever opened up off the crates or halfway, half-baked installed and not being utilized. And the choices were quoted from the ground commanders at those different locations that they made the decisions not to utilize them. Uh, one commander even said that it was operational security not to use an incinerator, which was laughable when you think about having an open air pit using jet fuel burning 24 seven versus an incinerator. Mm. So the cigar recommended to the Pentagon that they reiterate the directive of shutting the burn pits down. We have evidence that as of late 2013, they were still utilizing them. We're trying to collect evidence now to see if they are. Yeah. I mean, it, when, when you can identify a problem, you know, if you don't know about the problem in the beginning, uh, okay, I can, I can see that you would have a practice that may be detrimental, but you didn't know to stop it. At this point, 2009 is a long time ago, and thousands of troops have gone in and out since then. And how long does it take for symptoms to show up when you start breathing this toxic fuel toxic air, which I have heard creates compounds not even known in nature. So we don't even have studies on what some of these compounds are that you're breathing in and what the detrimental effects to the body could be. Well, the the irony of this whole thing is that it wasn't 2009 when the DOD found out about this, that okay. they mistakenly were using this and we needed to, oh, we're sorry, we made a mistake and we'll move on. It was 2006, 
a active duty uh, Air Force major was sent to Balad and did a air quality study there. He issued his memo, which was very concise and said, there, the air quality here is catastrophically detrimental to our troops. That memo was buried, buried very, very deep. And the, the part that was most appalling to me was that, mesh, that memo was issued in the spring of 2006. And a year later, well, six months later, my orders were cut to go. And a year later, I landed in Baghdad. So they knew. They knew that the air was bad. They chose to continue to send us without any protection. And that's the really uh, infuriating. That's the tough part. Right. Because, you know, once warned, then you can take precautions. Um, but that is, that's actually insufferable. Right. So as you, you've studied this deeply, and this is obviously very personally close to you, but the exposure to burn pits, let's just talk to our listeners about what some of the conditions that will show so that if people have these issues, um, but haven't yet recognized that they come from burn pit exposure, what does this look like as a condition? And we well, have a break coming up in three minutes, so we'll continue after the break, but let's start it. Well, to make it as brief as possible, there isn't one specific condition. That's mm -mm. the biggest problem we have. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll get to that later on, but the biggest thing we found is there are some consistencies. There are severe, and in many cases, terminal lung conditions, uh, one of which I have. It's called constrictive bronchiolitis. There are several different forms of very rare cancers, most of which are very, very fatal within usually a year of being diagnosed. And then we have the long-term issues of uh, most people have gastrointestinal, reproductive problems, uh, immune suppressed, suppressed immune system problems. Um, so there's a laundry list of ailments and uh, illnesses that go along with these contaminations because the chemical compounds that are being created with this trash that's burning, standalone chemicals each cause cancers and things like this. When you combine them, you start creating things like dioxin, which most people know is Agent Orange. Mm -hmm. um, one of the key things is if you burn tires, the, the chemical that's emitted when you burn tires, when it's mixed with the chemical that's in jet fuel, it actually creates dioxin. So when you are deliberately creating something that you already know through Agent Orange exposures mm. is going to make people sick and kill them, it's high time to stop. That's an understatement. Yeah. I'm just letting that sink in for a second um, because I, I was unaware of the tires and jet fuel equals Agent Orange dioxin exposure. The issues as you go in, um, we will talk about this further after the break because I don't want to shortcut any of these discussions, but when you have terminal lung conditions, rare cancers, and all these other issues with the GI and reproductive and immune system issues, does the VA now recognize these issues and look for them, or does the veteran have to 
take a look at them. We're, we don't have time to go into that before the break, but I do know that we want to discuss this in a way today that explains to people, here are the issues, here's what is recognized, here's where you may have some difficulties getting it recognized, and then we'll talk about how the public is becoming, and the Legislative Congress and Capitol Hill, are being made aware of these burn pits, their exposure, and the severe conditions that follow after exposure to burn pits. We are going on a break. We are talking today with Navy veteran Lauren Price about the updates on the burn pits exposure, conditions, and treatments. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smart strategies and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. It's Marching Did you know that many prospective college students work under the management of handlers? A tutor helps with SAT preparation, while a consultant concocts the perfect resume to present to colleges. They say the closest people ever come to perfection is on their resume. But college admission staffs aren't so bubbleable. That means gullible when it comes to sorting out students' qualifications. What's another word for a person with enough education to go to college? A tancom. The graduation cap was initially a hood and is believed to date back to the Celtic times when druid priests wore capes and hoods to symbolize their intelligence. It's marching Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're talking with Navy veteran Lauren Price about burn pits and all of the sorts of conditions that can arise and do arise upon exposure and how to recognize how to get help. So Lauren, you talked about the severe and terminal lung conditions, the rare cancers, the GI reproductive and immune system issues that can arise. But isn't this also part of, and hard to tease out in some cases, from Gulf War illness, which is also from the same darn region, but isn't caused by burn pits. So I, the question is really asked in terms of how does the VA take a look at treatment protocols for this? And do they recognize some of these very specific conditions and rate them and treat them? Well, we're going to have to go back to um, April of 2010. Okay. April 26th of 2010, then policy director for the VA, Carrie Baker, issued a very large policy statement called the VA Environmental Training Letter. And 
they're called fast letters. It's a stupid acronym just for uh, here's our directive. <laughs> that training letter is 26 pages long. <clears throat> and the first eight or nine pages specifically discuss rating and treating, rating for claims and treating veterans who are exhibiting and self-reporting illnesses contracted either during their service in the Middle East or you know, following their service in the Middle East, and specifically for OIF, OND, and OEF veterans. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the slap in the face, and I do mean backhanded slap, is that very same training letter was the one that Congress and the big VSOs utilized to get the Camp Lejeune water contamination presumptives pushed through. Okay. Because after the, the policy discusses the burn pits, which were used in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Djibouti, mm-hmm. part of Africa, um, it goes on to discuss the water contamination, not just at Camp Lejeune, but also at Atsugi, Japan. Mm-hmm. They have, in less than three years, they pushed through presumptives and automatic medical coverage for families who spent more than 30, not even contiguous days, at Camp Lejeune. To date, I know of less than a thousand people in the nation who have been rated for anything connected to the burn pits. The disease I have is not even in their reading schedule. They've yet to put it in there. and We've been at war for 16 years. And even with that training letter, people still struggle to get treatment. They're rated for asthma, reactive airway disease, and all of these Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Um, Most cases, the VA still fights on doing open lung biopsies, which is what's required to confirm CB. Mm -hmm. And they're fought tooth and nail to get care, let alone rated for it. And it's gotten so bad that a couple of years ago, a uh, producer, TV, a movie producer out of Holland, he produces documentaries. His name's Greg Lovett. He and Morningstar Media decided to do the documentary, uh, started from reading a book about the burn pits. Mm-hmm. And it's that movie, it's taken us about a year now of doing small screenings, um, basically indie funded screenings around the nation. About two weeks ago, we did a big screening privately for Congress in D.C., and then a public screening that night there in D.C. And it culminated with the previous Friday, veteran warriors had delivered to Congressman Bill Arrakis three years of effort to create legislation to stop, forbid, veto, never again, use burn pits in combat zones, Mm -hmm. and close some other loopholes that have allowed this to go forward and also to force the DOD and the VA to stop saying the words, there's no conclusive evidence. And actually a cease and desist is written into that to force them to stop using those words. Because to put it bluntly, every bit of alphabet soup in the federal government, EPA, CDC, OSHA, pick one, have all done over 40 years of research into all of the things that were burned in those pits, into those, what happens to humans when they are exposed to those, whether through their skin or breathing or ingesting it in some manner. And 
when the DOD and VA continue to say there's no conclusive evidence that you're going to get cancer from breathing PCBs and PCEs, which are TCEs, these things are um, chemicals emitted when They're you burn toxic. Plastic. Right. And we know that in this country. It's illegal. You can't burn trash in your own backyard in this country. Right. So we want them to utilize these other alphabet agencies research that has is conclusive mm-hmm. that has created laws where you can't smoke in a federal building because of them. Mm-hmm. So if we have that research available, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We need to collaborate with the other agencies, take their research and just start treating and rating soldiers who are coming back and getting sick and God forbid some of them are dying and it's really horrific. How optimistic are you that the, well, first of all, what was the reception by the Congress and the screening in DC to the documentary? I believe it's called Delay, Deny, Hope You Die. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. And they can find it on Amazon. Um, They can also find the Burn Pits documentary has their own Facebook page. Okay. Uh, they can download, I think it's like $5 to download it, to watch okay. it at home. Um, the, the screening was actually quite, the congressional private screening, was, I was quite surprised by their reaction because there were a lot of um, staffers from various, because there were votes up and such, so not every congressional leader could attend. Uh, Senator Udall attended, Congresswoman Grish, uh, Lujan Grisham from New Mexico attended, and they both have pledge their support for this legislation. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, this legislation is separate from, there's currently a, I want to say it's HR 1279, I'm not positive. It's to for the VA to get more money to create, and I'm air quoting here, Center of Excellence for researching this again. We don't want that legislation to go through because it's moot. We want our legislation, which is the 2018 Burn Pit Reformation and Veterans Care Act to go through both of those legislators pledged their support. That night at the public screening, there were several people affected, as well as media personalities and Congressman Villarakis attended. He has pledged to drop that legislation, hopefully here within the next week or two. Um, obviously, with some things happening on the Hill, that uh, his schedule may have been disrupted. Um, that legislation is very specific. It's very small legislation, but it's based on actual statute and regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's pledged his support and we've already gotten several other legislators around the nation who promised to co-sponsor and support it as well. How surprised were they at the film and the evidence and the stark reminder that in war things happen and there are consequences and they need to be managed? Uh, most of them were visibly shaken when they saw especially when they watched uh, one of my dear friends, Jesse Baca is filmed in the movie and they seeing Jesse who's so sick, Jesse and I actually both contracted the same disease at about the same time, but Jesse's the last couple of years has started to progress more rapidly than mine. Um, and talking to Jesse there in the same room, they're visibly shaken. These people don't understand and didn't understand. There were There's a lot of myths out there. Uh, one of the biggest ones is that KBR was given the money for the incinerators and didn't use it properly. When, in fact, uh, I actually handled those contracts. And those contracts were not given to KBR. The money, we ordered them, the U.S. government, we ordered them, we shipped them. And it was 
100% taxpayer funded and operated with through the DOD for those incinerators. Mm -hmm. And these people didn't know this. And they didn't know that we're still fighting the VA every single day for care, that we're still fighting for ratings, that we have people that have waited five years for ratings from the VA. Never mind that you can't get care because the VA's pulmonology people, well, you know, your pulmonology problems are probably, you just developed asthma or you just have allergies or pick a subject. There's I, the pulmonologist at James A. Haley told me that he wouldn't even consider treating my lung condition until my PTSD was cured. So when you find and here it, here we go. Okay. So comorbid conditions. So there's a lot of pushback and we're coming up on a break, but there's still time to discuss. There's pushback in terms of treatment and, and even specialists, I imagine, but it needs treatment, correct? You can't just go around with this. It will just progress further and further. Well, unfortunately, CB, there is no cure for it. It is terminal. Your lungs basically start dying off. And they it's a small airway disease, which are down in the bottom of your lungs, which is mm -hmm. why only this one form of biopsy works. Um, the treatment is we get, there's medications to ease our symptoms, mm -hmm. which is why most of us have outlived the projected five to seven years from when contracted. Mm -hmm. But it, the same thing holds true with these cancers. It's Title 38 is clear. If you are injured or get sick while in the military or you're, you have an existing condition that is aggravated by your service, it is service connected. That is the end of the discussion. Right. There should not be further conditions or... We have to prove that I, you know, breathed in something so disgusting that most people wouldn't stay in the same room with it. We should not have to go through that when Title 38 is crystal clear, but that's going to have to come from the very top down. So the screening has been helpful. The public exposure has been helpful. I imagine even just the morale lifting when people see that this fight is not going away, that you're hopefully not going to take as long as it took for Agent Orange to be recognized as presumptive conditions. And the goal is to get this legislation in front of the decision makers very soon. Is that well, correct? It is. And I will tell you, there was also, and just so as not to leave this out, so as people don't accuse me of cherry picking, uh, there was a contractor that filed suit against KBR as an employee. She served overseas as an employee there, a civilian employee, and got sick and filed a workers' comp claim with KBR. And their insurance company, which is AIG, refused to pay any of her bills. And that case was taken through the Department of Labor and was recently decided upon and unfortunately, the media outlets put some crazy spin on it, making completely false statements. Oh, the judge connected the burn pits to service members' illnesses. The judge never said any such thing. Lauren, I'm sorry I have to cut you off. We're going on a break. We are talking to Navy veteran Lauren Price about burn pit updates that have come recently in the last couple of weeks. And we will be back after these short messages. And we are very glad you've joined us because this is a very important issue that bears more understanding. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
This is Toginet, Cutting Edge Radio. one-fourth of the world drives on the left-hand side of the road, while the rest of us drive on the right. Most countries that drive on the left started as British colonies. Recently, I had to drive on the left in the Virgin Islands, and it made me feel a bit bum-squabbled and discombobulated, knowing that I could end up being the woe-be-gong that's the odd one out on the wrong side of the road. After gaining independence from England, America was anxious to cast off links with their British colonial past and gradually changed to right-hand driving. The first laws requiring driving to keep right were passed in Pennsylvania in 1792. Those laws turned some drivers into shunpikers. Those are people who avoid main roads at all costs. In 1988, archaeologists found grooves in the road that indicated that the Romans drove their chariots on the left. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion on progress, such as it is, in with the burn pit legislation. Lauren, talk a little more about the legislation as it sits now, what the goals are, uh, how people can become involved, and is there any way to better document the conditions that come up so that the VA will have, you know, a body of evidence later on that does document the conditions in such a way that makes it clear that this is service-connected and worsening over time? Well, first and foremost is... Every service member, if they get deployed downrange, they need to, even if it's something of writing an email to themselves, and that way it just stays in their email account, Mm -hmm. of documenting their health concerns while they're deployed. And because in combat, things get forgotten and dropped and things like this. Mm -hmm. When they get back to the States, is going through their records very carefully, making sure they have a fully documented record of specific illnesses that have arisen, even things like rashes. Um, There's a specific rash that's occurred that was pretty consistent amongst those who've been exposed. And I won't elaborate on it because I don't want to give anybody, oh, here's what it's supposed to look like, make it look like that. Right. Um, But even things as simple as a rash be consistent, keep track of these things, because then as you get your records together, document it every single time, whether it's at a military treatment facility or a VA facility, always document, make sure, check what they're doing, make sure they write down that you were exposed, what your symptoms are, these things, because that track, that record is going to be critically important for you. Absolutely. And and that's specifically why I asked that question, because I think that people think, well, I'll remember. I, I, I sort of remember when that was, you know, there was this battle or it was this time of year. Um, that's not good enough. It really has to be very cleanly documented, as most VA uh, ratings, claims, benefits need to be. But in this case, even more important, because you may be handing these things retrospectively back to the VA. Is that correct? Yes, because most of us, um, 
there, there's a process and a, a plan that the VA has. It's called the pre-discharge plan. That's a joint process with the v, with the DOD. Mm-hmm. But some people stay on active duty. You know, their intent is not to do their you know in and out thing. They mm-hmm. will stay on for another ten or fifteen years even. But in the meantime, they're getting sicker, and it's oh, I don't recognize that. Like I thought I had because a lot of us got sick while we were there. Mine shut up about six months into my tour, and. I just, it was the Iraqi crud. I thought I had a cold and then I had a bad chest cold and oh my God, I've got pneumonia. And it went away mostly, not Mm -hmm. all the way though. So you don't think about it when you, when it's mission first. Mm -hmm. And just why I said, you know, no matter how insignificant it may seem at the time, document it. It's the most important thing you can do is even if you don't think it's serious and it likely isn't, document it, email it to yourself or to your spouse, or your caregiver, or your family members, just email it. That's the fastest and easiest way to write it all down and not lose it. Mm-hmm. Very important, because I think, as you said, there is evidence, conclusive evidence, from other agencies. And I, I truly, personally, have never understood why we aren't using those studies that were done, because why reinvent the wheel and do the same thing over again, costing taxpayer money to conclude the same thing? Um, However, that's kind of the way things work at this point. So that's what they can do for themselves, veterans and even active duty at this point. What can they do to become better involved or become involved at all in the legislative process or to help the legislative efforts to make burn pits recognized? Well, very first and foremost, um, whether they're sick or not, we don't leave anyone behind and we Mm -hmm. take care of each other. And whether you're from, you know, OIF, OEF, Persian Gulf, Korean, Vietnam, I don't care which war or no war you served in. Mm -hmm. We're all brothers and sisters. We don't, we take care of each other. So even if you're just concerned and want to help stand up for your brothers and sisters, you can reach out to, there are three separate organizations that are handling this stuff and, I'm affiliated with all three of them. One is okay. the Burn Pit Documentary, which is owned, operated, and managed by Morningstar Media and Greg Lovett. And you, the Burn Pits Documentary is their Facebook page. They also have a website. Um, one is a Burn Pit Families is the name of the Facebook group. It is a closed group. You do have to request permission to be in it. And that is a huge resource of information for both healthcare and VA issues. And DOD. Some, we have a lot of members that are still active duty. Mm-hmm. The last one is my organization, which is Veteran Warriors. They can find us on Facebook and our own website. Um, Facebook is Veteran Warriors. And our website is VeteranWarriorsAdvocacy.com. We have a, reams and terabytes of information and data regarding the burn pits that can help with claims, that can help with medical treatment, a lot of pulmonologists will try to, and, and oncologists will try to get to the bottom of what's wrong with you and how you got it so that they know what to treat. Well, sometimes they actually need to see, oh, here's what's the chemical, here's what are the chemicals in JP8 and in styrofoam and in cark paint and those things. And we have that data for them. So any one of those three, also communicating with your legislators, your congressmen and your senators, the legislation is sent, is pending in draft form right now with Congressman Bill of Rocks' office. 
We are looking for a huge number of sponsors to go with it. It's called co-sponsoring. And then across the aisle, both sides, we want as many people on board as possible, even if you're not affected. Think of it this way. My youngest son right now, our youngest son is in the Navy. He's still stateside, but God forbid he ever ends up going over there. I want this fixed before he goes. Mm-hmm. And are you optimistic? <laughs> Sorry, I had to take a drink, but it also made me choke when you said that. Of course it did. <laughs> um, I'm cautiously hopeful. Okay. I, I'm not optimistic about it only because after almost nine years in advocacy and specifically about the burn pits, I no longer, I know what the big pictures are behind this of why it's taking so long. We're already 16 years into this war. We are halfway to the same timeline that Agent Orange had. Right. We are halfway there. And the fact remains is that we still have people that tell us and I've had legislators stand up in a room full of people and basically tell me that I'm a leech and that I'm a malingerer and that I need to suck it up. Um, so is that, is that heard a lot? Not anymore. Um, I was Good. very surprised by this particular legislator's statements, but uh, it was four years ago. It was, I was screamed out of one particular uh, legislator's office screamed out till I was lying and told me to get out of his office. Um, but nowadays, it's the big issue is we don't look sick. We well, don't. it's another invisible injury. Right. We don't look sick until, you know, you're at literally in the last stages of your life. And when you have a hole in your throat, like Brian Alvarado, when you've dropped 75 pounds, and he's actually the face on the front of the Burn Pit documentaries, a guy named Brian Alvarado, um, a big strapping guy, and has all kinds of horrible things wrong with him now, and he's dying. And uh, he, he literally is a fraction of himself. But when you see me on media outlets and in Congress, most people don't even realize I'm sick until I start to talk, and then they can hear it. And but the they coughing, still, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, the coughing and the choking and the, the hypoxia in the brain is always fun, too. Because I don't look sick. Well, again, the invisible injuries are often the hardest for people to understand because it's also easier for them to ignore. So as you go forward, um, when you're working with veterans, do you find that they are grateful to find out really for the first time in many cases what is wrong with them and that they at least have a group to have peer support within because while this is horrific, having others and knowing you're not alone or imagining it in your head or listening to those who are saying, you know, you're psychologically damaged and this is just in your, this is you malingering, as you've mentioned, that's a terrible thing to be told. And that also brings on behavioral health things. So how has this affected the mental health of those who have this and have this high frustration with trying to be understood and treated? Well, that's the biggest thing, I think, in the last, just in the last few weeks, I've watched between the the DC screenings that we were able to do and um, randomly, like I said, this civilian case against AIG, it brings the awareness back up and then we, we get an influx of more people that want to know more and they're, they're relieved to find out that they're not alone and they're not insane. Um, 
that they're not making this up that yes we have these bizarre weird things that no normal person walking the street has and we're not imagining this and then they get mad then their frustration sets in because they've been fighting the va and the dod for so long they're like wait a minute you've been doing this for five years longer than i have why are we not done yet and that's where unfortunately for those the powers that be um the numbers are growing of those people whose frustration is worn out now. They're done because they're hearing more and more. The burn pit registry, which I was a part of getting put through, uh, was a VA placebo. And that registry goes nowhere. The information can't be accessed by anybody. But I will share this. Um, and there was a research study done on the effectiveness of that burn pit registry. And every single thing that beta testers said me included, is true. It's useless. But as of last count that I looked, it was over 164,000 service members were registered on there. And that does not include people who died already. They're excluded from registering. Their families can't register them. So, and to be blunt, I'm not registered. My husband isn't, who also served there. Two of my five sons have served there and they're not on it. So that number is real small comparatively. Well, it is, Mon. And just for the case of listeners, um, I want to mention that when you register with the burn pits, it is putting you on a list, a database that is kept. And unfortunately, that's where it stops. You can be examined by the environmental coordinator, I believe it's called, at your VA medical center. And then that's it. Nothing happens with this information at all. And it's a very frustrating thing because you feel as though you've done all that you can do within the VA system to make sure they have the information they need to move forward. But unfortunately, it does not go anywhere. And I know this through the veterans and their caregivers that I've worked with who have these issues and and go to the registry and are surprised to find it's a dead end. It will be useful as you mentioned, 164,000 people are in it, not to mention the ones that are not. But unfortunately, right now, it's not useful. So we're going to take the last break of the show, and we'll be back talking further with Navy veteran Lauren Price about burn pits, the open-air burning of very toxic chemicals and waste that have caused enormous respiratory problems and seemingly continue to this day without protection. We'll be back after these short messages, and glad to have you. Don't go away. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. 
From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. hear about Wesley, the golden retriever puppy from Michigan that was fitted with braces? Before you think this is a bonafide insanity, Wesley was born with teeth that were so crooked he couldn't shut his mouth all the way. This was affecting his ability to eat properly. So his owners took him to the Harborfront Hospital for Animals and Veterinary Dental Solutions, where a doggy orthodontist prescribed him a set of braces. And now, pictures of Wesley smiling with his bright, shiny braces have been circling the Internet. With all that metal wrapped around their teeth, some would think that most dogs would become bruxomaniacs, but not Wesley. He doesn't mind the braces at all and is now able to eat his food with gusto. A bruxomaniac is someone with an uncontrollable urge to grind their teeth. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. As we are in this final segment of our show, I want to make sure that we address those who have never been deployed as much as they have been in these recent conflicts, which are the Reserve and the National Guard. And often if you're sent as an individual, you may not be aware of the bigger issues that are happening to groups of you. And I think it's imperative that we talk about making sure that we wrap it up in this segment about what you can do to make certain that you're not ignored, that these issues do get into your record. And the word burn pits are used because I imagine, Lauren, if you do talk to a doctor and say, here's where I was exposed, here's where um, I began to have these symptoms, et cetera, that you stand a much higher chance ultimately when legislation is passed of getting the treatment and the attention that you need from VA as opposed to only private practitioners. And indeed, as you mentioned, some of these things are not even treatable. So go first to the National Reserve, at the um, National Guard and Reserve and how, how they can also join in with all of this because they may not have the same mechanisms that you all do. Well, that's the difference is they actually do. Uh, Good. Okay. Reservists, uh, reservists across the board from any branch, guard, basically their reserves too. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go as an individual augmentee, meaning you volunteer and you go over and get dropped into embedded in, in somebody else's unit, mm-hmm. um, or a reservist, a small unit will go and get under a bigger battalion or brigade. Here's the thing. When you come home, you still got to, you're supposed to go back to your civilian life. Again, number one, document everything, every cut, scrape, scratch, cough, sneeze, all of it. Document it all to yourself. And if you're really sick, make sure that if you go to the cash or the mobile hospital, you document it and get a copy of that documentation. Mm. Two, when you come home, you're going to see either VA or military or civilian providers. And there are some specific civilian providers out there who are familiar with our illnesses and how to test and how to treat what they can. And there are three of them in the nation that we highly recommend, one of which is mine at Vanderbilt, Dr. Robert Miller. And there's Dr. Anthony Azima at uh, Stony Brook in New York. 
and then there's Dr. Rose in the Jewish Center. Those three are very, very familiar with it, but there are others that are coming on board. Mm-hmm. But every single time you walk in you to a provider, I don't care where they are, you'd say, I was exposed to the burn pits. And at some point, sit down and document the things you were exposed to, not just open air burning, but things you see, stuff you see on the ground, things that you saw in there or being transported to that or that you're aware of. These are the things I was exposed to so that you can hand that to any provider and say, please document my record. These are my current symptoms. Keep track of this. It is important because my symptoms showed up initially after six months, but it was another year and a half before I had a lung biopsy. And only just by the grace of God, I got one because mm-hmm. because they bracked most of our base. <laughs> they had to send me somewhere. This is so critically important. You have to document it for yourself. You have to be your own advocate. Right. And if someone's in need of help and uh, some sort of a roadmap, reach out to myself or my organization or Burn Pit Families. We're happy to provide you with others in your area who've either gone down the same road or can help you find providers regardless of where they work, whether it's MTF or civilian or VA. Mm-hmm. But uh, you have to document this stuff. Every single time you have to be redundant and irritating and harassing. Make sure it gets in your record every single time because we are now, uh, it's 10 years since I got home, uh, nine years since I got home. And we're finally at a point where there's enough civilians out there that know about this, that they're pushing to help us. So if you can't get help within the military complex system, we can help find you some civilians that will. That's critical because I, I think, as we know, if it's not in your medical record at some point at, at VA or documented fully, it doesn't exist. Yeah, that's well, that's that's standard DOD practice. If it if it's not written down, it didn't happen. So well, not only if it's not written down, if it's not in your electronic medical record or My Healthy Vet or the DOD equivalent, and now we're moving to a different um, electronic medical record, it it does not exist. And if you go to outside doctors, you have to make certain that that information is put in. Can you tell them the process of getting outside doctors' documentation put in their medical records? Uh, you take it, a copy of it, and that includes testing and office visit reports or hospital records, every single piece of paper, you take it to the privacy officer at the VA facility, or you take it to the records department at your MTF, and you hand it to them and and make sure you give them a copy. Do not give them originals. Mm -hmm. And you say, please put this in my record. And there will be a form you fill out and all this to do so. But And then follow up a week or two later to make sure it actually is in there. And I will caution people that the Department of Veterans Affairs, that their medical record system is not what's called legacy-based. Anytime people touch that file, they can go back 10 years and change what's in your record. So do not assume that just because it's in there today, that it will be in there next week, next year, next month. Make sure you follow up. And following up is done through My Healthy Vet? Well, through that, or not everybody's real internet savvy. We have a lot of veteran community that just, you know, they play cards on social media and that's it. Okay. Um, Go to your medical records department at the VA or your MTF 
and say, I'd like a copy of my record. And we recommend number one, do that the, the day you get out or the day you fire the day you fire your claim, whatever. Get one original copy baseline. And then once a year or once every six months, especially if you're having health problems, make it quarterly. Go in and get a copy. And you can say, here's the last time I got a copy. I'd like a copy of whatever's in there since. So that you can confirm of what's in there. Also, you should know what's in there to make sure that you can correct errors. It's kind of like your credit report, your your health. And Good analogy. It really does. People know more about their credit report than they do about their military and VA record. I would say in terms of medical records, it's more common than not that they are incomplete or incorrect at times. Well, these were paper records originally, then now they're becoming electronic, but at any rate, they're voluminous. And mm -hmm. some records have been destroyed by fires and floods and all kinds of things. So it is important to look back at your record, especially since some of these conditions worsen with age. Exactly. That's the biggest thing we, we're seeing is, I, I can tell you, the VA found in 2011 that I had a weird heart condition um, as part of testing for something else completely well, irrelevant and never told me. I'm sorry, not in 2009. In 2011, when I left VA care, um, I found this in my medical record because I didn't even know. And I was already been had been an advocate for several years at that point. I found the testing and the results, the resulting report in my medical record. What I found out was I have a severe heart condition that mimics the same thing wrong with my lungs. My cardiologist was irate and wanted to know who was the doctor that ordered the test <laughs> that didn't tell me. And unfortunately, I said, well, the VA. He just shook his head, made some pretty sarcastic remarks, and we drove on from there. But that is what I mean. I didn't even know that this was in there, that it was a test that just VA told me how to go do. Okay, fine, do it. And as it turned out, I had a condition that I was unaware of. And was confirmed later by a civilian doctor. I have this, but yeah, you don't know. You never know what's in there. Well, which is why it's very important to check. And I think your analogy to we know more about our credit scores and records than we do about our medical records is a very important reminder that this is valuable. Please give out where people can find out more information about your organization and you can guide them to other ones um, because I want to make sure that well, they, they can know. Find us on Y'all can find us on Facebook at Vet Warriors One, or just look for Veteran Warriors. We have a big black and silver logo, and you can also find our website directly at VeteranWarriorsAdvocacy.com. And in terms of your feeling that you are reaching the right people, and that the pathway that is being followed is working. Are there other efforts that you wish would happen or do foresee happening in terms of either legislative at the local level, at the medical research level, or in any other way? What do you see? We've got about two and a half minutes. I'd like to spend, I, I really, if I had my wish and my druthers, because everything that we've tried to accomplish so far, we are accomplishing, mm -hmm. um, both on local and national levels. If I had my druthers, though, I would like 30 minutes with the president because in 30 minutes, I'm very good at shotgunning information and I could give him the down and dirty bullet points 
for not just the burn pit legislation and the cause and effect of it, but a, a multitude of other things, including VA stuff that we work on. But I need like 30 minutes with him. And that is honestly, I could die a happy woman if I could get 30 minutes with him and hand him a bullet point document and just go down them all and let him figure out his questions because he'll have a lot of them when I'm done with him. Well, aim high. There's no no reason not to. Absolutely. So the VeteranWarriorsAdvocacy.com Facebook group, closed group of veteran warriors and burn pit families are all very important for resources here. I hope today that you've listened to the methods that are being used to raise awareness And Lauren constantly goes on media to talk more about this. You can find the, tell them where they can find the Burn Pit movie again, please. They can go, they have their own Facebook page called The Burn Pit Documentary. I'm actually doing another uh, radio show tomorrow night or Saturday night Mm -hmm. um, live show about this very issue again. Um, And you can go back and we have all of our former interviews and media outlet stuff all on our website at veteranwarriorsadvocacy.com. Perfect. Because I think that one of the biggest things that we can continue to do is to spread the word and have our listeners spread the word as well about these important issues so that they get handled. Families are helped because anything that happens to the veteran also affects the family. And you get much better outcomes when there is progress to be made and there's positive mental health behind it. So we thank you for listening to us today. And Lauren, thank you for your diligent and tireless work on behalf of your brothers and sisters in the area of the burn pits. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us, Linda. We appreciate your continued support. You're so welcome. Make it a good week. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 